This episode of the Old Green Plain podcast is brought to you by the Nebraska State College System, serving over 9,000 students through three geographically diverse institutions, Shadron State, Peru State, and Wayne State, which offer collectively more than 200 degrees, certificates, and pre-professional programs that are accessible on campus, online, and several locations from around our great state. With more than 270 credentialed faculty members and 50,000 successful graduates, the Nebraska State College System provides significant human and intellectual capital that contributes to the current and future strength of our great state of Nebraska. If you or someone you know are interested in learning more about which great institution is better for you, or if you just want to learn the ways in which these colleges are making an impact in those areas that they serve, go to www.nscs.edu. Again, that's www.nscs.edu. I am also a proud uh, former um, attendee of Peru State, where I played baseball. So go Bobcats. Uh, there's That's my plug as well. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by good old Silverhawk Aviation. Since 1991, Silverhawk Aviation, located right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, has brought customers the absolute best experience for charter flyers all over the Midwest. From a full uh, lineup of Cessna Citation jets to King Air turboprops and Cessna 182s, like old Butch, Silverhawk Aviation gives you the freedom to fly where you want, when you want. Travel in total privacy while you avoid the long inconvenience of those drives and longer lines. Not only do they provide the best-in-class charter experience, but Silverhawk is also a trusted services provider for all you pilots out there. From quick turnarounds for you pilots who need to get in, fuel up, and get out, to FAA-certified maintenance and the best-in-class avionics upgrades, repairs, and maintenance, Silverhawk Aviation truly has something for all of you aviation fans, of which there are so many of you. Check out SilverhawkAviation.com. Again, that's SilverhawkAviation.com, just like it's spelled. Okay, this episode, what do you know? One of our sponsors is uh, the Chancellor, Dr. Paul Terman, a good friend. I think I'm lucky enough now to call him that. I know Colin and him are good friends. And yes, uh, the Nebraska State College School Board System is where he is the Chancellor of those three great institutions. Um, And yes, they are a sponsor. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, on some level, you can say, well, that's obvious, Craig, that you're going to have them on. And I'd say to you, yes, I would. But I would also say to you independently, uh, Chancellor Terman's pretty interesting dude. Um, what a conversation we had. Um, this would have happened regardless. Uh, and that's easy to say standing on this side. But this conversation uh, and a trip in all um, 6-2 Tango uh, plane, old green plane, would have happened regardless. Uh Dr. Chancellor, as we like to call him, uh, is the chancellor of the Nebraska State College System for the last year. Um, Before that, he was a member of the South Dakota uh, School Board of Regents. And before that, he was an associate professor at University of Northern Iowa, where he actually taught intercommunications. And his doctorate is in interpersonal communications. Uh, He's also a father, and like I mentioned, a friend. He's just an all-around good dude. Um, And it was this kind of general collection of insight and background in which Paul kind of sat down with Colin and I and brought all that to this conversation. Um, I love this conversation and I love this podcast because we talk about a lot of things. We talk about um, the state of our college system, uh, the state of just education in general, and not necessarily even what that has to do with those schools that he serves here in Nebraska, of which, again, I am a proud member, uh, proud former attendee of Prue State. Um, but the bigger point that I think we touch on is just, you know, you have to ask yourself as your parent. And if you have kids uh, that are getting to that age now where maybe they're talking more about their careers or their passions or their strengths, you know, you send them off to their school every day 
do you do you trust that they're going to develop the skills and strengths and talents that will lead them to success down the road? And I mean, that sounds about as boring <laughs> and as mom and dad as I can be, but it's true. Every day I work with Amped uh, in trying to help leaders and help them suss out the best parts of their employees' days and how often I come across moments where uh, leaders just can't motivate an individual and it's really none of the fault of the individual or even the leader because that particular employee is in the wrong position. They're on the wrong career. They're in the wrong industry. They're on the wrong path. And I like to think that we have that control when we get old to make those changes uh, on the fly, but we it really starts uh, when you're a young kid. And so Dr. Chancellor Terman sat down with us to talk about issues of how do you better figure out uh, what uh, role you play as a parent in um, bringing out those strengths and those talents and those skills and those abilities and interests as young as you know 10, 11, 12. We talk about the state of the college system in general, again, not just those that he serves, um, because he plays an important role in the Nebraska State College Board. Uh, this system plays an important role. Uh, they obviously represent three colleges that are not a part of the University of Nebraska system. Um, but they also serves, uh, you know, an interest in bettering uh, the overall economic um, um, viability of our state through talent, through these individuals that come to our state or are born here and decide to stay and go to these schools, uh, no matter if it's the University of Nebraska-Lincoln or one of the three great schools at Chattern State, Bruce State, or good old Wayne State. Um, either of those three, and there are a lot of great institutions across our great state, but um, I'll stop being a mouthpiece uh, because I really am excited about uh, getting into um, what we talked about with Dr. Chancellor Paul Terman. So without further ado, here is the next episode of the Old Green Plain Podcast with our guest, Dr. Chancellor Paul Terman. How's uh, the world or how's a day in the life of a chancellor? Like what was today like for you? Do you wake up and just, you know, like, you know, ah, I declare. <laughs> no, I tend no. not to do that. Um, actually, today was um, about six times a year. We have a council of presidents meeting. And so those are normally about a month before uh, every one of our board of trustees meetings. And we'll do a range of things on that, but we'll tend to put like any new policy changes or revisions that we have forthcoming that have worked their way through like an academic affairs or a mm -hmm. student affairs council, uh, business affairs council. It's that last opportunity for each president to say, you know, as I've talked with my leadership team, here are some other things to consider. Um, if we have to pull it and maybe hold the item until we do some additional conversations, um, we do that. But we also talk through, you know, here are some other big ticket items that are underway in our system, um, different projects that we want to try to pursue. We were trying to think through, uh, do we want to uh, entertain a, like an economic development or economic impact uh, mm -hmm. study, which would mean hiring an outside firm to come in and apply their methodology and 
it tries to calculate the kind of both local and then statewide mm -hmm. uh, impact that the tuition dollars, the state general funds that we get, um, any fees and athletic activities, how that contributes to the overall state um, kind of economy. So we were talking through a, a range of those things. Yeah. and But that was, you know, about three to four hours today um, with our agenda so that the presidents are fully informed and have the opportunity to weigh in on where um, we're advancing things for the next board meeting, which is in November. Does a lot of the work that you do in chancellor for the state college system, does it seem like a lot of payoff for a lot of people's jobs are fairly quick? Like flying in the plane that day, you know, you as a pilot, it's pretty easy to see if you've done a good job, yeah. <laughs> All right? We go up and we went down and we're alive. So that, at least that's my general gauge for how successful you are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you guys didn't even sing like for he's a jolly good fellow or anything. Like <laughs> <laughs> I did my job. But I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like going up in a plane and not landing for a year, I feel like, with a lot of what you do. Yeah, sometimes that's, that's what it feels like. Um, you know, I've started to try to embrace, you know, celebrating even the little accomplishments sometimes are, are important things to do. Um, I think I realized that with my dissertation that there's, you never have these kind of definitive endpoints. You, you take your comprehensive exams, will you pass those? You meet with your committee, they give you the sign of approval. Well, then you've got to do a proposal for your dissertation. Then you have to collect all your data Then you come back um, and you do your defense. And at the same time, you, they give mm. you all these changes you yeah. still have to fix and make. And then it really is not reality until you find a way to actually get something out of your dissertation right. published, which could be, was still like three Ever. years later by the time <laughs> right. I finished that in 2003. So, um, at that, when I was going through that, I kind of figured, even though there's, it's not done, you've got to figure out a way to celebrate it in some way. And I, we do that same thing. I mean, we've got a strategic planning process that we just finished up, um, identifying, you know, what our four legitimate outcomes are, um, what performance metrics are tied to that. And our board accepted the recommendations from a very large task force here a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's a time to celebrate, mm -hmm. even though it, it kicks off a whole lot of work that has to transpire over the next mm -hmm. five years. So we can hit the goals that we had, but each one of those are done in piecemeal. And as where we have success, good enrollments, um, celebrate that yeah. retention rates, move up, celebrate it. Mm -hmm. When you exceed your goals, move the, Without the goals and celebrate raise them. That. So, yeah. um, I think that's, that's always, I think the inherent struggle with, um, the, in these types of leadership positions that you, it's tough to keep the long-term focus while also maintaining that the institutions who are doing on the ground work, um, are being celebrated for the successes that they're having yeah. as you, well. You both have to celebrate in the short term and yep. then look for the long term. You can never, they're never just, you can never extrapolate just one or the other. They're always kind of in a relationship with each other, I imagine yep. too. Um, I, well, but it relates to being a, a professor and a teacher, which you are really at your core, right? Like, yeah. Well, actually, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask right out of the gate. I mean, drive us down the road, uh, Chancellor Terman, drive us down the road of how you, you know, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of it. Give us your... No one just comes to be chancellor like that. By the way, my knowledge of chancellor is from Animal House. <laughs> right? So it's far, far right. separate, from, separate from that. And sadly, probably somebody my age that's 
their view when they go to college of someone you probably never wanted to see right. ever. Right. Right. And that was, you know, sadly from Animal House. So, by the yeah. way, you do a far better job than that guy. <laughs> yeah. It's so, a, Dr- those Dean, those Dean, Dean Watermeyer. Dean Watermeyer. You know, I, I think I'd gone into higher education, finished up my degree here at UNL and thought I was going to be a, a faculty member. And at some point, you know, I'd move up the academic hierarchy to be a department chair and then ultimately maybe a dean somewhere down the road. But um, I went to uh, University of Northern Iowa where I was given my first um, um, tenure track position. And, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the research I was doing um, with coaches. Yeah, we'll get back into that. I haven't. <laughs> and um, but the one thing, even though I have a PhD in interpersonal communication, the vast majority of the classes I taught were all in quantitative uh, research methods. So we had uh, two required courses at UNI for all our graduates. You had to take an introductory uh, research methods course and then a quantitative one. And then we also had a graduate course in quantitative research methods. So I would say 80% of the course load that I had was tied to that. Mm-hmm. Um, analyzing data, showing students how to use uh, statistical packages, how to uh, develop survey instruments that they could use in business and industry once they left our degree program. Um, and so it was, uh, I started, I had a very good foundation in, in assessment and in institutional research. Well, I had gotten tenure at Northern Iowa and the, a job opening had come open in the South Dakota Board of Regents office and I had gotten just a fluke email because they were updating their um, uh, HR system okay. when mm. I was a when I was an undergraduate or when I was a graduate student at South Dakota State University. I was in their system. They still had my email address and it got kicked to me. I happened to be out there. I'm like, oh, let's see what jobs are available. I looked at SDSU and USD and the mm-hmm. other institution in the system. And I just by happenstance clicked on the South Dakota Board of Regents office and they had a director of academic assessment that had a job that had just been posted. No and way. I, uh, you know, it's in my hometown of Pierre, Fort Pierre. My wife was from the lead uh, kind of Deadwood area and we had three young boys and it was just an opportunity to be able to go back home. Um, I, when I tell the story, I basically go and I interview and then I decide I'm not going to take the job. And my wife calls back and basically says that, all oh, right, yeah. you're going to take this position. Yeah. Um, and I, I look back at that as probably the best like professional decision I've ever made because there's a, there's a big distinction between university um, in college level administration and how people move up in those um, areas compared to system offices, because not a lot of people really embrace the the system office mm. mentality. So, I mean, I went from a director of academic assessment. Three years later, I was the associate uh, vice president for academic affairs. Then all of a sudden someone left and I became the vice president for research and economic development, <laughs> right. um, which I had very little understanding of other than I knew our academic programs and how much that influenced workforce. And I began to learn the other pieces to it. And then the person who had hired me um, after eight years, he retired. And then I was given the opportunity to be the vice president for academic affairs. So I shifted there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all along, all of these pieces um fell under the umbrella every time i took a different job whoever Mm -hmm. i hired to replace me fell underneath me to supervise so i had seven or eight employees that were underneath um you know still oversaw research institutional research Mm -hmm. it 
um, or at least instru in instructional uh, activities on the campuses. So it's a natural evolution. A little bit, um, but you know, I, I had a couple of really good mentors that um, who were in. So it, when you say Chancellor, mm -hmm. like Chancellor Green here yeah, at the is, University of Nebraska, University. Lincoln, yep. mm -hmm. some some colleges and state systems refer to them as presidents, um, and that's how our system is set up. the The campuses are managed by the university or the college president, right? And then I serve as the chancellor in the university system. It's just it's flipped, president. Fritz is oh, in charge right, right, of right. All, all the, the university, uh, UNMC, Omaha, Kearney, and UNL. Yeah. Um, and but fundamentally, the 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 connection or the alignment with the board and working with the institutions right. works there. regardless of how you but, what the name is. But back up though, because you 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 flip, you just went right over you. This is by chance. Start. It starts with an email that you essentially shouldn't get. Which reminds me, Colin, I should really respond to one of those Nigerian prince overlords that said that I have $55,000 waiting in my name. <clears throat> I just got to give him 200 bucks. So right. now it seems dumb for me not to. Yeah. Go. Well, yeah. especially. It's in know, random the emails. The thing that intrigues me that he said was, you know, the best decision he made in his, his professional career. I can't wait to have one of those. <laughs> a, good, a good decision Some, in my professional someday. career. I look, forward, I look forward to have a good decision. Yeah, I, want, I would like to make a good decision. Yeah. And I mm. believe that's going to happen. But I mean, that is something. It's great. And you really think about the randomness of life. I was reading today, there's a Harvard Business Review article about decisions that we make and specifically ones yeah. that relate to our professional lives. And a lot of times... The ones that we make knowingly, the one that we go out and we work for and we say, okay, that's the goal. That that can end, well, as everybody knows, good or yeah. bad or not. But oftentimes the ones that just get made for us or fall into our lap, yeah. we don't see those the same way. We don't view that as maybe our own will or destiny, but they are equally as important, if not more important, because sometimes it's things being pulled, strings being pulled in the background that we don't even really know. Yeah. Don't know how much this applies because it's a random email, but I love that well, kind of it, it applies. Symbolism. I a kind of a story connected to me making that, even to a, the decision to apply. Um, so I wrote two books with a colleague at Northern Iowa on, on group communication and leadership communication. I think this John Burtis was probably one of the smartest guys I had ever worked with mm -hmm. on a theoretical level. Um, he just conceptualized things very well. And we were a good team because um, I was able to kind of take his high level thinking and, and connect it to mm -hmm. examples that yeah. I think students could could really uh, connect with. Well, he had come to Northern Iowa the same year I did, but he had left um, a tenure track job at K-State to come and be our department head. He gets there. And after a year, realizes I I do not want to be an administrator, mm -hmm. and so he steps away from that position, becomes a faculty member, and I went into him um, as I was trying to decide, am I going to apply? And I said, do you ever regret, you know, having come to Cedar Falls and come to to you and I? And I I still use his example. He's like, you know, I only regret the decisions not made than the ones that I do because, yeah. you, you, you know, he goes, I would be looking in my career, even if I retire, thinking, boy, I could have been a department head. Mm -hmm. And I made the choice to, to move my family and, and come here. And it didn't work out. But at the same time, our partnership never would have happened if I had stayed at K-State. So you always have to look at what are the things that 
you're getting as a result of a transition or a move versus the things you maybe have given up. Given up so right. not all of them work, yeah. but for the most part, it it shapes who you are and then change it. It impacts the next thing that is to come. coming to yeah, yeah down the road. And that's you know I I think that's that's a great point because a lot of people have opportunities staring them in the face all the time, and whether it's skepticism, mm-hmm. fear, fear, mm-hmm. they, they decide not to. Yeah, well, fear. Fear's a good transition. Yeah. Uh, you know, I transitioning into the flight that day a couple of weeks ago when we took off at very, very early, six whatever AM pilot con. Um, and and to head out to Shadron uh, for a homecoming game for them. That was with yeah. you in tow. Uh, and so flying in on six two tango. I mean, I, I the fear never goes away f- for me. It's it's a constant friend. It flies with me every single time. It's getting better and better and better. And I, you know, but I meet that those kind of questions and skepticism and fear. Um, what about you? Well, as you had time to reflect on it, as you had time to think about that day and going into it. I mean, what was your takeaways? What when you first drove away? When you left Colin and I, you're driving back home. When he dropped you off, what is your what's your what are your first thoughts? No, I I thought it was a, a great experience, and I tell you, I mean, I've I've flown in some small planes, but yeah, never yeah. anything as small. And um, you start to get a sense of how much um, the weather and just a modest wind yeah. um, can impact that. You can seem to take off almost in any type of weather conditions in a big jet. Yeah, um, That is reduced a little bit more in like a King Air. Um, but I've also flown in some pretty bad wind, 30, 40 miles an hour. I would say anything more than 15, I don't ever want to probably get back <laughs> into plane again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, just the uh, the elevation change when we did that little kind of dip and yeah. um, how as we were hitting some of those clouds and the little anomalies that we were running to on the way back. I mean, all those things are just very different um, kind of flight experiences that you almost have to kind of have lived through every type of, of airplane to really understand that. So, yeah. But I just the opportunity to drop down and yeah. in Central City and um, you know drive into town, have the conversation there. Yeah, um, which I think we had a lot of really good talk about yeah. higher education and everything as and, well. And I want to get into that too. I want to get your takes on take on that day. We also um, we, uh, we we the airport that we were there was in Central City. Right. But, but after that, when we took off, we flew over. Was it the Platte? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we yeah, kind of yeah. you know flew over the plat for a while. I love it. One of the things that Colin, you know, when he first really showed me flight was this notion of just the perspective change, right? That that just seeing your world from just slightly far away, you know, even from three thousand feet, gives mm-hmm. you a greater appreciation for it. And that's how that's held for me strong every single time we go up. I've always felt a greater appreciation for my state, for the land. I mean, really, ag producers. Mm-hmm. I really started to think a lot about the work that they have and the tremendous challenges they have in front of them coming, you know, right just right now. Um, was there a – did you have any of those? Maybe not overwhelming. Oh, my goodness, you know, saw God moments. I mean, gladly. <laughs> Everything was really – you did a great job that day, by the way, buddy. But uh, did you have any of those moments? I think in when you get the opportunity kind of in the front seat, you, you see um, the land in a very different perspective. But um, it also emphasizes the beauty of this state, Yeah. Um, how beautiful the, the Platte River is. And for people who just simply drive along I-80 – um, are really only experiencing um, Nebraska at its flattest point because yeah. it follows the plat and it keeps mm-hmm. it relatively um, level. But as you venture uh, either direction of the Platte River, you start to really see the beauty of the sand hills and, mm-hmm. and the various kind of formations that we have. And so it it is absolutely a, a beautiful state, and you know the homes and and the places. The one thing I, I as I drive across the state. 
um, are like sand quarries where that people just all of a sudden have built, yeah. you know, a, a lake is formed. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now there's there's nothing but sand. There's no grass because it, it won't grow back because of the um, sand hill formations. But just the little nuances that th- that's something you probably don't see in, in many other states. No. Well, do you want to know the story behind those lakes and stuff along the interstate? So uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to ha- hang out with a, a gentleman that used to sell equipment. And they dug those quarries to build up the interstate. So they would dig those holes yeah. and the water table was so high. They would use that sand and the sand and the dirt to build up the interstate. And then yeah. you know, they would they would continue to mine the sand if it was deep enough for, mm-hmm. for ready mix and stuff like that for the for the so they're using materials right there on site. Yeah. And they would move these mobile excavators and mobile pumps mm-hmm. and dredges. Mm-hmm. Uh so as those filled up with water, not only did the yeah. You know, contractor or developer or whoever was the landowner, you know, make the money on the material, yeah. but then they sold off lots the land. Too, yeah. so the, the golf courses I see sometimes that build up around some of those yeah. quarries. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily on I 80, but like Ashland, you right. know, Ironhorse. But I, a greater appreciation for the land is definitely something I've always taken away. Also, just the scale and scope of, of air travel in general, like the being able to fly as the crow flies mm-hmm. and that advantage that that provides us. I mean, the idea that we could go to Shadron in essentially two and a half hours, yeah. which is normally what as far as a drive it's about six and a half seven six, yeah, yeah, you're not yeah stopping so yeah. it is quite a haul yeah. out there and i i mean i love that perspective too just an appreciation for just getting up and going somewhere straight but mm. i mean I, that day obviously with the weather we couldn't make it out that far and you're kind of known for having been bit by the weather bug or at least your travels out there like yeah so yeah. that was my fourth instance where yeah. i didn't make it and yeah and Two weeks later, I ran into the, the two days. So it wasn't our fault. <laughs> it's, it's not your fault. It's, yeah. uh, um, and I'm now scheduled to go back out there on uh, November uh, 5th and 6th. They've got a, a set of students who are in a social work class where one of their big projects is they put together a conference, and their conference is focused on on hate and how to overcome that mm. and the, the impact that um, educated citizens can have in doing that. So I'm going to go out for that conference. Oh, great. Um, are you speaking on it? I'm not going to speak because I, I, I was supposed to go out, um, a week and a half ago, wasn't able to make it. And so I'm like, well, if I can't do that one, I'll try to get out another time. Yeah. I just hope the fact that they've now scheduled me to attend doesn't mean that they get a blizzard and it, it does eventually. <laughs> if, if I'm the town um, of Shatter and I'm stacking up on salt, yeah, uh, ice. Yeah. Chancellor Turman's coming. Yeah. We gotta get Gas up, gen- get the generators gassed up, <laughs> yeah. ready to go. They're just gonna name every single winter storm. You see, they're doing that now. They're naming winter yeah, storms I, you know, I, I don't every know if single. I, agree with that. I don't either. They, it's something just the Weather Channel does. It's not something Noah does. Yeah, it's no, just it's, they're doing it for simply click purposes, right, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. You know, weather system, Paul. Um, well, I was gonna. You mentioned it earlier. The conversation we had in the the um, the the what was the name of that place? It wasn't Daylight Donuts. No, it was. The, oh my <laughs> waffles, waffles. The waffles and more. Waffles, waffles and, and more. more. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. in yeah. Central City. Mm-hmm. Shout mm-hmm. out to Waffles and More. If anybody, uh, so, you know, I I'm not sure. Did they? Did you ever hear if they found that? person that wandered into the donut shop <laughs> no no it's called jigsaw and they made a movie called saw <laughs> no offense everybody ever been there but i mean no i mean we had a great conversation something that i thought about and actually came up today so i thought that was strange um mike dunlap who's the ceo here locally of nelnet is that nelnet, his official? Yep. Founder. um founder yep he uh talked about there's an article about the state and the 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 really the the brain drain problem mm-hmm. Now, he was talking specifically in tech, which Colin and I both have a you know pretty intimate awareness and and you know 
we find that important. We care about and the talent that we have on our team. We wouldn't be amped if we didn't have some of that. I mean, that conversation that day at Waffles and More was really about, you know, how does someone align, like, what role does education play? And not only refining skills, teaching people, obviously, mm-hmm. giving them a career, or at least the skills to maybe go out and have a career. But also, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the role that education has at all levels. So I think you sit on top of the heap in terms of college, right? So, but that means you play a role of all the all the way down to elementary yeah. school. But what role do you have? What role do the state college, you know, legislators that are just, or the the administrators have in helping someone? Because this problem that Don loves talking about just doesn't fall onto the 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 uh, you know the parents or of the individuals themselves. It's more than that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the onus has to be it. Something has to be owned at the literally the the grade school level, the middle school, secondary education, all the way up to you know your level. How? But how do? You, where does that? Where do you see that? I'm not doing a job of ask, answering the, or asking the question, but what role do you play in that? I, I think we play a role, and I'll maybe cut it across three different areas. Okay. Um, I think one of the the benefits of the the board that I work for is that Matt Bloomstead, who's the uh, the equivalent of the secretary of education, the commissioner of education mm-hmm. also sits on that board. Mm-hmm. And so we, I interact with, with Matt quite, quite often. Um, and the conversations we have along with the people who run the community colleges and the university system is how do we work as closely as possible with, uh, K-12 mm-hmm. so that in middle school, you're beginning to get um, students excited about the the range of career opportunities that we think are going to be in place five to ten years down the road, mm-hmm. and so you know the Nelnet example, the the fact that we could attract a lot of really competitive industries into the state to do uh, coding and a right. whole host of things, but we need to almost ten times the number of graduates in computer science to achieve that. And so, why is that? Sorry. It's just because just the people there, there's going to be attrition regardless, even if you have, you're going to have attrition. Um, so the, a good number that we do produce oftentimes are attracted away from by other States and other companies, um, because they look very closely at the number of graduates you produce in the key areas that they, they have. Mm -hmm. And they use that as a decision point as to whether or not they will move a company and relocate them or Mm -hmm. put a new, um, hub in, in your state. So, some of it is is making sure that not only in middle school, but then in, you get into your junior and senior year, that you are getting more well-versed in what pathways um, a lot right. are available for you and how do we make it appealing for students um, to get a little bit of exposure mm-hmm. to some of those pathways so that they eventually stay in the state and pursue their post-secondary. Is that your responsibility? And I say yours, generic term for just kind of administrating at your level. Is that your responsibility? Because those pathways are really important. Like I think about yourself. Did you know that, you know, Chancellor Terman was going to, you know, when you were I a wrestler your freshman year in high school, like, did you think about it that far? You know, I did not. But I think the the one thing that we're beginning to really try to embrace uh, more wholeheartedly is that um, you you have to get further down into that pipeline if you're going to make the types of impacts Absolutely. that you need to. So like Wayne State right now has what they refer to as step initiatives where they are, it's like a nine credits sequence of Mm -hmm. like teacher education that students who think they want to go into teacher ed are beginning to take dual credit as a Mm. pathway so that once they have graduated from high school, they already have, 
made some significant progress toward that degree, and they're also getting a sense of is this what, what I want like. to do? Yeah, yeah, it's great. And so um, we're trying to do more concerted efforts around pathway programs, mm-hmm. and that's engineering, advanced manufacturing. You know, you pick the area. How do you get more uh, juniors and seniors in high school exposed to that, with the goal that ultimately they will choose one of our institutions? recognizing that I can accomplish this here in Nebraska and not have to leave the state. Do you find it hard to balance the helping someone find their individual pathway and serving those colleges that you work on the, you know, for essentially, right? Like is it's, you want to serve those individual, you know, schools so that they have enough talent and they have enough people applying and, and ultimately coming to your schools yeah. as opposed to forcing or shushing people down. The, no, no, no. You're going to be an engineer, which no one would ever say about me, but like that's got to, that's a delicate balance. I imagine for anybody it, trying to create those pathways it's a delicate balance but when you think about the the high impact jobs so the h3 jobs or the high skill high demand high pay Mm -hmm. um oftentimes i don't think a lot of students understand the complete range of uh degrees that that fall into that that. Mm. so we were having the conversation last night about agronomy Mm -hmm. that people oftentimes don't understand um, what an agronomist does Agreed. and, yeah. um, how, how good of a, of a career you can have in that field yeah. and how big of a demand it is and how data analytics is going to start to shape agronomy so right. dramatically right. in the next 10 years. So I, I look at the range of degree programs that we have criminal justice, um, business, and then adding in analytics and things like that onto the uh, spectrum for students. Um, begins to give them a little bit more insight into, all right, what is it can I yeah. do with a business administration degree? What does having a criminal justice degree allow me to, to, to do? And at the same time, does a, just a liberal arts degree, um, the fact that I've got good writing skills, good speaking skills, all those things will allow me to do what when I get done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the avenues that you can go into are, are pretty okay. wide open. If you're a, you know, a high school sophomore, or actually I pose the question to you, at what point should you, I'm, you know, as, let's say a parent's listening to this. I highly doubt a high school sophomore is going to be listening to this. <laughs> a parent is. At what point are you as the parent turning to your child and trying to get them to at least make sense of their interests or strengths or just where they naturally gravitate to? Are you seeing them doing things, tinkering and saying, here, here's the pathway to being an engineer? I mean, how do you strike that balance as a parent to not push them down something they'll ultimately want to do? I think you'd be surprised on the number of kids who pick their career options based on what it is that their parents do or at okay. least within similar fields. And is that right? Because, I mean, you are related and, you know, <laughs> genetics being what they I are. I think if anything, it's a testament to giving students exposure to mm-hmm. a range of things. Mm-hmm. Um so like capstone experiences in high school or internships, even um, two week internships or shadowing opportunities um, are the types of things to try to push yeah. more toward. So it's doing those things while at the same time you're getting students as much exposure to like math and science as you possibly can. Yeah. So if you decide in your freshman year of college that you're going to be an engineer, but you didn't take th- four years of mathematics in high school, <laughs> There's not much that an institution can help you mm-hmm. overcome mm-hmm. Um, to uh, get over that hurdle mm-hmm. that's going to be in front of you. So taking four or five units of math, taking as much much science as possible, um, ensuring that you're doing as many units of writing mm-hmm. so that you have the skill sets that you need uh, to communicate. Those are important things for parents to be thinking about that while at the same time they're 
All right, let's give you some exposure to what things you potentially yeah. could do. Do the like the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade like aptitude tests, you know, like the cat test that I took. I don't, do they even still do that, by the way? A cat they, test they, I mean, the standardized testing yeah. um, components that they have in place for for Are, the three kind of units. Yeah. Do they do a good job at testing? I mean, do you, in your belief, do they do not only just testing just your aptitude, your ability to do that particular skill, but also then your propensity to then maybe be skilled and proficient enough to have that be a pathway for a career. Because they seem to be like, that's ideally, as now I look back on that, what they probably were for. As a kid, I just got dead-ass nervous mm -hmm. that, oh, sh I'll take this cat test and mom's going to yell at me if I don't score really, really yeah. high. I didn't connect it down the road to a job. You know, and I now, I honestly feel now, as I look and as my kids and I, you know, as kiddos now that, I feel like I was let down, like, if, and that my dumbass fault that I should have like connected those dots, but I didn't. I was yeah. just scared to not have a good test, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but I don't know what you know what I mean. Like, I think. Do you the, think they do a good enough job? In in a number of ways, I think they do, but it's it shaped the dialogue in a very different direction. Mm. So it used to be testing to see essentially where you're at. Mm -hmm. Versus Craig's an idiot. Testing <laughs> to understand where you still have gaps that could right. need to be filled. Right. And I think as many times as people criticize No Child Left Behind, which then became the yep. Every Student Succeeds Act, um, when you look at what I think K 12 districts have done and how they actually evaluate test scores and then use that to actually go back into the classroom and, and help eliminate deficiencies for students, um, that's the the, the long-term impact that we're going to get from mm -hmm. that type of, um, imp you know, infusing the assessment and data and Anal yeah. analytic yeah. kind of piece of it. Well, yeah. I have a question about, so this is, this is a little bit off topic, but one of the things we talk about is, is, you know, students getting a good education to get a good job. Last night when we talked about agronomy, one of the things that our friend said was, his dad was so happy. It, you know, he, he, he was fulfilled at work. Mm, it wasn't mm -hmm. just the money. Yeah. It was fulfillment and yeah. happiness. Agreed. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, I, I have a college age uh, son. And when you look at some of his friends that are went to school to study, you know, let's just say accounting. And all of a sudden they go and they meet with an accountant. And the accountant says, I work 80 hours a week and I'm miserable. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Then he's like, "Wait a second, that's this not what I want to do." But there probably are accounts who love it. Oh, absolutely. So that, but I see it, what you're getting at, right? In every profession that love and hate it. I, that's what you you're know? getting at, though. Exactly. Is how do you suss out the the part the the part of you that will find passion in it? That kind of, regardless of pay or time spent in it, eighty hours a week will feel mm -hmm. like you could go another forty hours a week. That's where I think because I. The, the role that teachers and the jobs that administrators have at all levels is is I have so much respect for it. I wanted – I mean I was a coach for 10-plus years and I really wanted to have that be my career and profession, uh, teaching specifically at the college level too. And I, I have – so I have a lot of respect for it. But I feel like, again, you mentioned No Child Left Behind. You left – you know, all those standards and measurements that teachers are essentially held mm -hmm. accountable for when I don't know if that's – because really what you're trying to suss out is what Collins I think alluding to, which is – what are you passionate about? Well, because yeah. that passion could be your true north. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the day. I don't time. think it's necessarily what are you passionate about. It's it's kind of how generic. Do value, how, how do you value wealth? Is wealth mm. to you an income, or is wealth to you 
I mean, wealth to me is when I watch my wife and kids play soccer in the yard. Mm-hmm. And it's both though, right? Right. Well, you know, it's both because you have to have the you have to have the motivation to go do something, and then and at the end of the day, what you're given, whether that's just the the accomplishment of a job well done or the, the feeling like, yeah, I did I did this today, mm-hmm. and that was what I wanted to do, or I did this. It was hard, but I got all this stuff, you know, or things, or time, or whatever. Yeah. I, that's a combination that can only be found within relation to each other but at the same time i feel what i'm getting out the aptitude test is i wish there was a little element of like who are you your personality you know who are your parents even i feel assessments involved absolutely i'm starting to wonder can we add in an element of personality of past because data is getting big enough now that we can start to peel back the layer on just multiple generations of, you know, Canivas who have done this. And, oh, by the way, I don't know if you all want to go into that, but maybe this right here, this field still has the same skills and talents. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, as a as a school system, as a college system, the, you're left with ACT, SAT as the most basic form of yeah. is this person ready to jump in. Does, does the school use any of those pre- kind of, you know, indicators or anything to say this person was successful in this role that are just not ACT, SAT? Yeah, I mean, we we use GPA. I think You're right. I mm-hmm. think the one thing that, that we've all come to, I mean, predictive analytics has showed us that ACT and SAT are, are not um, what they're all cracked up mm-hmm. to be. I mean, there's still like an academic affinity that mm. you're, the fact that you are interested in doing well in school yeah. Um, is as much of an indicator. They refer to it sometimes as grit, but um, can take someone with a, a relatively good ACT score or a good GPA, but a low ACT score can overcome significant mm-hmm. barriers. Just like somebody who has a 36, 35 on the ACT, there's no guarantee that you're going to graduate from, from college mm-hmm. um, because you had gotten there just simply because everything came natural to you. At some point, it's not always going to come natural to you and you're going to be confronted with challenges and how you've acquired skills to overcome some of those right, challenges right, right, down right. the road. Incredibly so, valuable. I mean, I think that's one of the values of the state college system is that, I mean, it's an open access um, system where we really don't deny admission to, to folks, but it's on, it's our responsibility to make sure that a student who maybe comes in not as fully academically prepared as, as they would if they had gone to a high um, yep. um, evaluated school, that we can still find ways to make sure that they're successful, yeah. that we have the support services in place, that um, we can provide them with developmental education that allows them to be successful right. in the, the college algebra course um, or even in the uh, English course that they have. Well, and, those are skills that then follow them for the rest of their lives, <laughs> <it> is, <laughs> right? Yeah. And those sometimes are... if. Not more important, but as close to or equal to just the bare bones necessity of the, the degree itself. Um, go ahead. We're going to. I was going to say one of the things we 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 and, and again in, in true Colin fashion, I want to jump around. But one of the things we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, in in the restaurant was in in man. I think about this all the time. Was when we talked about internships mm. and how, oh, and how great we fail, yeah. how we fail kids in yeah. internships. I agree. Yeah. Um, Tell me, tell, tell us a little bit about that again. So, you know, and that was, I was said, there's like three different ways that, that we work to oh, right, yeah, K-12. Yeah, yeah. And actually the, way the, to bring third, back on. the third way was around the internship process. So um, I think it's, it's important that not only are we producing as many graduates as we can to feed the workforce mm-hmm. here in Nebraska, but um, providing as many uh, ways to entice a student to choose 
a business or an industry in the state is, is important. And so that's some of the work we've been trying to do is infuse more internships and, and cooperative experiences into the mix of their educational uh, portfolio so that they not only are making connections with businesses, they are now giving businesses the opportunity to kind of test run those yeah. employees. Um, you know, and, and if we're doing that right, then um, we're going to create an incentive structure where students are going to be connected to the small towns and uh, communities that ultimately give them that opportunity. Right. But the one element, and I think what we talked about in the restaurant is that not all internships are, are created equal. Yeah. They're not equal. <laughs> no. Some are, some are paid, some are unpaid. That's yeah. one component. Others are, you know, we, we have a series of projects that nobody here wants to do. And so we're going to bring an internship to, right. to do that. Um, some of the grunt activities, but if you don't give them a meaningful internship or cooperative educational experience, um, even if you then offered them a job, they're probably less likely to want to stay yeah. with you. I think the example I gave was my son. Lincoln. Yeah, I was going to bring it out. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had decided he was going to maybe do nursing, did that work as a CNA one summer and then decide, Oh, maybe engineering is where I want to go. It was real, really smart in math, um, and science. And, so gets a job with the DOT in South Dakota, and he works in the materials testing lab, which you think, oh, this would be perfect. Well, his main and only job was doing um, heat tests on asphalt samples that would come in, some of which you'd wait three hours for it to heat up, and all you had to really do was watch it. So I think he, he left three or four months of doing that and went Just, to school and said, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I maybe I liked the yeah. human element of the nursing program. And, and that's what he eventually went into. Um, I'm not saying that that would have maybe changed, but getting exposure to four or five different things yeah. during uh, the summer would have maybe um, opened his eyes to the range of things that civil engineers um, can do for the Department of Transportation in any state. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, it's. It's, it's a great topic because uh, it's, I mean, that's the only real way to get hands-on experience before you actually, you know, beyond the, de the, the degree in the classroom, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of businesses look at it as, oh, great, here's the intern, let's send them for coffee. Exactly. You know, we yeah. had an intern one time that came into our office and walked in and said, man, what do you guys do here? And we explained it to him. And he said, I don't, I don't know what I can do. Coffee, runs, go get lunch, whatever. I just want to be a part of this. And so he turned out to be one of our better employees yeah. because mm -hmm. he wanted to do anything. And so we put him in so many different situations just yeah. to see where he would thrive and strive, and, 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 and strive to do more. And it was just the more challenge we gave him, yeah. the better he and more valuable he, he became, he became to our, yeah. our, our organization. Well, it only benefits the individual employee because i mean as we've seen the trends in you know just in, in the general public uh some jobs are going to be automated away some jobs are just going to be obsolete you yeah. know they won't even be a robot to do them so being aware of all that's around your job not only the specifics of what you want to go into mm -hmm. the, that the internship hopefully would provide but in some ways and degrees and it may be doing the Taking out the trash, getting coffee is valuable, but one without the other is not valuable. And oh, that's absolutely. what I think we that's, know. That's what I mean. Uh -huh. I mean but I mean, the pathway thing that you bring up earlier, you know, part of the pathway thing to me also means this kind of pathway, this evolution of the job itself. Because, you know, you can take an industry, just engineering, that, you know, we, we now know like most, you know, younger employees as they jump into the workforce are going to stay at a place less than three years. Mm -hmm. So now this is an evolution of a career, you know, and it, it may not, it may be involved jumping 
you know, industries entirely, but still keeping keeping the same kind of skill set or talent. Do you see the role that you play in the, in the college system as sussing out that kind of basic skill level? Because I can imagine an engineer would have skills that would apply in other industries that would maybe not seem at all the same. But yet that person four years in be like, screw this. I'm done being an engineer because maybe I'm not getting the hands-on experience I thought I would. Yeah. You know, do you see kind of the job of an uh, of now an educator at, at the, you know, the, the higher education level in college being to inform a student what potential lies ahead of you or what the pathway looks like as, as they evolve and get older and grow? I think it's, it's, creating kind of that lifelong learner yeah. mentality. Okay. I always um, heard that as in college when I was like, professor, you know, there, that's not what you there are. There are a range of things that are kind of fundamental kind of skills that um, are certainly come through in, in like the liberal arts curriculum, Without the general doubt, education yeah. curriculum. So those are there to infuse that while then also providing sometimes the, the specific skill training that uh, someone that is hiring an accounting expects the accountant to be able to come in and do. But it's the other intangibles that that come from the college experience too and in, in working with other students. How do you mm -hmm. do, um, how do you think critically? Um, what does that really entail? How do you work with groups mm -hmm. and how do you communicate effectively with groups? Th those are things that um, you get that and then you move on and find that career opportunity and I think the one thing we're beginning to see more of now that rather than saying, come back and get an MBA, come back and we'll do graduate certificates in specialized areas. You need a, some exposure and uh, training in something that we can accomplish in maybe nine credit yeah. hours or, or, or three classes right, 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 in, right. in a deep dive on human resources or yeah. a deep dive in just uh, leadership. Great and point. Yeah. You're now become, you've been elevated to a manager. Well, what does that entail? I, I don't have two or three years to, to get an MBA <laughs> right. or to get a, a right. degree in, in leadership. I, I need some of that skill training that can be done um, over the course of like nine months yeah. in more targeted and in finite ways that really doesn't even have to be credit bearing. I don't need it to be a diploma at yeah. the end. I just need to be able to um, kind of utilize it on the on the job. And I think that's where we're seeing business uh, turning more to higher ed. These are things we oftentimes invested training in. But if you're able to um, kind of bring some of that to bear in smaller increments, mm. then um, there's a lot of value to that without um, a doubt in the workforce, just on constantly how much people are, are evolving and training. Right. Because so, you're not going to be able to learn or gain a proficiency in man, being a manager in college, <laughs> you know. No. What I mean? But it, just getting a taste of it and hearing some of those theories and ideas, if that's not necessarily central to what you're going to go do, you know, I, that's highly valuable. Um, I want to switch gears without switching gears entirely. Holy crap, we've been going for 44 minutes. That's amazing. I felt like 20 minutes. You still yeah. got you got time? I've got time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into, you talked, you touched on it earlier, the difference in, you know, the state college system versus let's say the university, the big dog that's, you know, less than a mile away to mm -hmm. our North. Could you go into greater depth? I myself was uh, an attendee of old Peru state, you know, in, in Peru, Nebraska. No, that's not in literal Peru, but uh, a lot of people who live there could have been, <laughs> they, they never left. So you call, do you consider yourself a Peruvian? A Peruvian without a doubt. Without yeah. I have my card carrying member. <laughs> yeah. I have funny stories I can tell offline, but um, uh, walk us through a little bit of the difference 
uh, just high level and even just maybe other stories that you have, what are the differences? You talk about, um, you know, a student being able to get in, what, what did you call it? Non, you don't, you don't, you don't require certain. And open access. Yeah, okay, open, yeah. okay. What other differences are there? I mean, you talked about a lot of things that are really intriguing to me, you know, seemingly remote, like Shadron. I mean, that's that's out there, mm -hmm. but it's still a diverse, you know, student population where students right out there may not get exposure to that if they're just, you know, in one, you know, small town for the rest of their life, which that's also fine. But yeah. can you walk us through some of those things that, that are different that maybe people aren't aware of? I think the, you know, it's sometimes the distinct mission that like the university system has to not only, I mean, UNL is the land grant institution, has the ag focus, engineering focus for this state. Um, it also is the expectation that they're infusing uh, significant dollars into research and the research enterprise right. to continually to evolve um, different elements of this state so that um, farmers, ag producers, advanced manufacturers have the, the innovation that's possible right. to continue to evolve. We certainly do not have that type of research um, or land grant mission, um, but it's the opportunity still for um, a, a wide range of students, students who are still planning to go to med school, but want to start that pathway in a, in a smaller yeah. institution. Um, with smaller student to faculty ratios, ratios yeah. where they think they can be more successful and they have an intent maybe of returning back to rural communities. And so starting there allows them um, to not have to venture too far and eventually come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kearney is still somewhat rural in nature and, and its placement right. in the state compared to Omaha and, and Lincoln. Um, and it serves that role and in, in function as well. But it's also just the distinctiveness in the degree program offerings. Mm -hmm. um, I think this state was was pretty wise in in how it tried to create kind of some some gaps that um, engineering, uh, uh, university medical center, and providing nursing and healthcare. That's done, and we support state dollars go into those programs without duplicating that mm -hmm. in other yeah makes uh, sense avenues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are um, the kind of main places where having two different distinct four-year systems makes a, a lot of sense um, because if we were all of a sudden merged into one, I think you can see the identity of why keep investing in Shadron, Peru, and Wayne in the way that we are. Um, the fact that my board is vested in making sure that those three institutions are successful is what allows our state system yeah, to be successful. Absolutely. And still serving the rural um, communities and the rest of the state um, in yeah. the way that we do right now. Well, when I said it that day at the uh, at the at the waffles and more was that I think the 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 trend I think is going to go in the inverse. It's going to go back to the small town. I know it's not right now the trend and everybody gets scared to death. But I think as people start to you know, it, it gets a little crowded, not maybe in Lincoln necessarily, maybe some in Omaha are feeling that, but I think in other large, you know, very urban areas, there's going to be, because as internet kind of has leveled the playing field, right? As long as you have Wi-Fi access, you kind of have a window to the entire world. And that means jobs. And as, you, without you. a doubt, yeah. And I, but I think as jobs now, you know, as the, uh, 
online economy grows and, you know, you look at, uh, you know, what's it called when you work, when you can work just like telecommuting, telecommuting, right? You can go out and just pick up a job, you know, you know, build a logo or whatever. As those types of jobs online start to grow, I think, I think the evolution will be hopefully back to small towns. I come from one. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. You come from one, right? We all kind of do. Um, but those those college, those colleges, those three that you serve, uh, I think that's innately they're one of their missions, right? Is, is to yeah. find value in those small communities. And I mean, I've you know I was in Peru, and it was one of those communities that I mean, from the outside in, when people come visit, it'd be like, you don't know that the, the people here, although albeit very very inclusive, right? Like this is a family. I mean, it was literally I knew the locals. The townies, as we called them, you know, and the students alike. It was also like well, an your professors. I mean, you, you oh get my a, god, it's an evolution, though. It was yeah. an evolution, though. There was literally people that I'd meet that had come back, you know, for uh, homecoming or mm -hmm. other, you know, different events at the school that you, I wouldn't imagine they would have came back. That would not have been my guess as an undergrad. It really wouldn't have been. But here they were because there, there's an identity. There you start to see you're not just a number. No, and not that there's anything wrong with the UNL. I'll be, you know, I mean, a family that go there, that's great. But um, I, I also see the value of actually getting to know the people you interact with, all you know, professors and students mm -hmm. alike, being a highly, highly important value prop. Um, go ahead. You know, I was just thinking about something. What if we could solve? They got a business idea right yeah, here. Yeah. What if right, we could solve? I got my pen and paper. Spot droughts in Nebraska by where we took Dr. Terman. Uh -oh. If he brings the storms. Oh. <laughs> if he brings the storms. I mean, there's a whole other there's side. A whole there's other side. side. There's money yeah. to be made for yeah. sure. So yeah. if if, yeah. if any if anybody does hear it's, this and, it's and El Nino, are, right? El yeah. Nino right here. <laughs> we bring Terman and a flood comes. <laughs> Damn it, boys. <laughs> well, that means we need that's pretty nice out right now. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I I do want to talk about getting into your degree. Uh, your your advance or your doctorate mm -hmm. as, as into internal comms. I want to talk about groupthink. Uh, I know that's not specific to your world, but I think that's kind of social psychology slash yep. communications, right? Am I right? Is that yes. is that? Yes. And um, let's talk about groupthink as it relates to the the this phenomenon. And we talked a little bit about it in the plane, but I I think about it a lot because it scares me. Um, this this this. Uh, I call it a problem where we're starting not to be able to hear the other side. And and I give the example that we did that day with you um, of speakers coming. I always think of Cal Berkeley. Mm -hmm. You know, Cal Berkeley, obviously a fairly left, you know, and it's this, the show has never been about sides or, you know, who it's never been about that. It's been about honest dialogue and conversation from all sides. Um, but they're, you know, obviously they typically lean a little left, so that's probably their guests. But there are certain guests that come that the even the student body doesn't want to come, and they pressure the faculty and the administration, and they feel so moved to not allow that to happen. And give the example that we gave that day in the plane of what happened here at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Right, there was an individual on campus that was speaking, just you know, pro, not even protesting. Right, it was just kind of like giving their side of. A topic, I think it was mm -hmm. on conservative side a little bit, and you know, Chancellor Green, Ronnie Green, was forced to make a comment, essentially not forcing or removing that you know type of talk, but it it begs the question: the role that you have as an administrator in college and higher education, it always would seem to me to be that you're trying to help free thought, free think, just flourish, but now you're being forced to draw a line. 
not forced, or maybe you don't feel that way. I see it as an outsider as being forced. And I think that is as much of a proposition as I can think of because you're just trying to, like the ultimate goal is that for free thought to happen on a campus and then for everybody to draw whatever side they want, right? You, I mean, you can learn the wrong thing, <laughs> you know? So where do you feel your role lies in this kind of, I would say, new and scary, you know, world dynamic that we're in? I, I think it's, it's always in the, the actual implementation of the policies that you have in place, um, that everyone should have the capacity to voice their perspective. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you're, if, if you don't want to listen to the message, don't, don't listen to the mm-hmm. message, but don't, don't stop someone's free expression um, in, in almost any environment that you have. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the shouting down of, of particular individuals is things that continue to get attention. Mm-hmm. Um, a governor from a state showing up and, right. and basically, you know, the, the audience, um, you know, interjecting where they can't mm-hmm. continue on with their presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that with students if they're vo- voicing their opinion in different ways. So you have to be willing to, to let those things transpire. But it's sometimes it's the the personal reaction, the immediate reaction mm-hmm. that people have where they maybe go over the line in either saying one thing or trying to curb someone's mm-hmm. opinion that causes the majority of the problems. And your, in, with your degree, take us through how someone can t- rip themselves out of that. How do you get out when you hear something you don't like? I mean, how do you communicate or how do you begin to just hear the inverse? Or how do you, if Colin tells me some shit I don't like, which is daily, how do I hear him more effectively? You, you get on Facebook. And then you comment. And then you rant. I don't at you, though. I subtweet you so you no. don't know. Yeah. So you, yeah. you pull up a, a, a BS article. Yep. And you post it on Share Facebook. That. And, and, and I, th- I think a really good thing to do is, you know, rely on, 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 um, less interaction, human, human. What what am I trying to say? Not displaced aggression, but, uh, when, 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 when people are, when people are out there, passive aggression, passive Passive aggression, but I mean, put on that hat, put on the the hat of, you know, tell us how to walk someone through how to do that. Because I swear to God, people need a class in that. Yeah. Mm. I, I think, and you talk about social media, the, the presumption that you're going to change anyone's oh, mind that's ridiculous, on that. right? Right. Um, and sometimes I think people they they enter that fray mm-hmm. with that uh, intention, but it, it um, bleeds into the real world. I mean, does. it's not we, just you know on the social media world because you you have to accept that uh, meaningful change really does happen happen at the individual level, right? How do you how do you shape the the minds of those that you interact with mm-hmm. on a day to day basis? Um, and then hope that that spreads out across that. I mean, is, was it last week that Ellen DeGeneres was oh, criticized for point. having been yeah. uh, sitting next to President Bush? I mm-hmm. loved her comments yeah. in that, you know, I shouldn't just sit with people who have the exact same view set as me. <laughs> right, right. Um, th- there are things that he's done that I can learn from and vice versa. And for the most part, people latch onto one particular yeah. kind of belief system he has and feel that, oh, because of that, I shouldn't, well, right. what better meaningful way other than to simply have a dialogue with someone mm-hmm. like that to maybe convince them that mm-hmm. um, a different view set could be applied. I think one of the things that we talked about on the plane, and it's kind of that the value of higher education. And if we're not open to 
that free exchange of ideas. And I think no place is going to be that you sometimes people think about diversity in in kind of broad terms. Uh, it means people of different um, backgrounds mm-hmm. or ethnicities, ethnicities that come together. Religious um, I've yeah. always seen that it's more along the, it's the diversity of perspectives that mm, higher yeah. education becomes the the kind of melting plot yeah. of diversity of perspectives where we're forced to hear other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it, well, interpersonal communication, um, I can tell you kind of what my inherent beliefs were growing up about gay and res- lesbian relationships because of the small community I came into. Right. But when you start to think about interpersonal communication and the nature of relationships, um, it forces you to think differently about that mm. and then better really understand it and then also instruct students on it. And you're confronted with their kind of limited perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see those as the the right ways that higher education begins to pick the whole host of topics that you're going to be confronted with as oh. a, 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 a college student that you may not have been uh, able to. Exposed to. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you had not gone on. Is that just the limitation of the fact that maybe your parents or your grandparents or those that you love back home are the ones that believe or subscribe to those thoughts? So I don't want to kind of belittle them or you know, make them feel bad by not thinking that way. What, what stops someone from just seeing the other side when it comes to maybe, you know, asking a question or getting to know someone who's from a different perspective, as you yeah. mentioned? Well, I think that you, your initial question kind of touched on groupthink. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Groupthink certainly happens in small groups. It also happens on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not presented with um, a, a different perspective, and I think that's why people have tried to how do we how do we eliminate groupthink in our important decision making practices? Well, the add a, a devil's advocate into it. Mm. Ask the question that's mm. not being asked. Let's just think about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Good so point. we all agree that okay, we're done. You, you think this is, but what if what if that doesn't work? What if yeah. the person we just picked for this job? is not right. the right person. What if the, the degree I chose isn't actually what I want to do? What, what is wrong with just acknowledging that maybe the devil's advocate position is right? Yeah. And even just that in itself feels really wrong to even acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is that just the fear of being wrong, the fear of looking like a fool? I think it's the, the fear of, of conflict. I mean, mm. and I think that's why um, group scholars have indicated, you know, appoint a devil's advocate so that they're not criticized. They're not seen as the, they remove the, yeah, your, yeah. Oh, that's right. It's yeah. your job to ask those questions. Ah, and it's, it's my job to articulate an effective response to the question you just posed. Yeah. And if I can do that, then maybe we are on the right path, but it's not uncommon to put 10 guys, 10 people in a room and they're going to all, and once the domino start, Oh yeah, this, Oh, this is the great idea. And we look back in history on the, some of the worst decisions we've ever made <laughs> right, simply right. because nobody spoke up yeah. and said, this yeah. is, you know, the number of times um, uh, analysts pointed to Pearl Harbor and said, you know, we're kind of vulnerable here. Oh goodness. The Japanese mm-hmm. would never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, this same thing with the Cuban missile, or not, the, um, the, uh, the Bay of Pigs is another oh, great yeah, yeah. group mm-hmm. thing example. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how in the world could we ever be defeated <laughs> right, in right, Cuba? Right. Yeah. Well, CIA was on the ground; they knew everything. Yeah. yeah. So you so, have to 
um, have alternative perspectives at yeah. play at all times. Uh, the proverb as so as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Right? Yes. That applies to men and women, obviously. Yep. That's not a term that just is, is for one sex or the other. Um, okay, well, we yeah. took your hour. We took your hour. Dr. Oh, Chancellor. I appreciate that. The conversation. Oh my no, goodness! It awesome. Well, it's only sign that we have to do more. Well, Absolutely. we do. We have. We have. We're doing. So we'll have to continue this podcast after our next flight because I, I want to hear about the adventure of us going on a spring trip and him reeling in a spring snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Good gracious, dude. <laughs> we'll save that next one for May. Yeah, hopefully. that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. you know, there's a lot of other good conversation we had. I had some other notes here, but um, oh, well, real quick before we let go, let you go, um, I want to make sure you get a chance to bang the drum. You know, it's a great term that Colin loves here locally. Um, what, what, you know, not only what does the state college system have going on, what is, does you or what does each individual college have going on? What's something that you want to talk about that you're proud of or that you just want to people to know about i i think the the one thing that we've done here uh lately in the system has really tried to i mean going back to our conversation about internships and, and cooperative experiences um you know one of the the elements that we worked with business and industry a year ago and then and then worked with the governor to put in place the the talent scholarship initiative um that had you know scholarships to entice students to stay in the state with internship and cooperative experiences tied to that with the goal that more of them um, stay so we don't have significant attrition like we do now. Um, those conversations still continue to unfold and we now had uh, hearings with the Appropriations Committee because um, we have a number of great senators who have some different some ideas mm -hmm. that align and um, we're working to try to bring all those together. So I'm hopeful that as revenue projections um, continue to come out positive, that this is a year that in working with the governor and, and appropriations and, and the legislature, that we're able to put together a, a kind of a workforce development um, scholarship program that will allow us to retain as many of, of the talented students that we have in the state as possible. Yeah. Well, I know that's great. And, I, you know, um, listen, the work you do, the work that your team does, the work that all the administrators and faculty does at each of your schools and all across the state is, is the good work. I think college is getting a real bad rap in this day and age. And sadly, because of the Googles and the Apples of the world that, well, you know, if you just learn how to code a couple of lines, mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes, there's a lot of value in the college experience that has nothing to do with what's on a book. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm glad to hear that you not only advocate for those positions, but are actively trying to find more ways for students to find those experiences, find those opportunities beyond just the classroom. And, and oh, not to mention the schools that you uh, represent do a great job of that, too. So Dr. Chancellor Paul Terman. You know, we didn't even talk about your damn high school wrestling career. That's what I was excited to get into. For this dude told me you were a... A four-time state champion? No, my one of my twins was. Yeah, oh, was, only yeah. one of your children. Yeah. But were you were not so bad I, at it yourself. I got third as a senior. In third, high school, okay, so. well that's that's listen. That's, we, we talked about maybe uh, throwing a crack <laughs> in a single yeah. and uh, grappling yeah. up a little. Bit. Yeah, no, that'll be good. Third in Stanley in South Dakota. I've always kind of it's like that's uh, like making the world team in some some countries. So yeah, 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 yeah. Right some there. countries. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been fun. Thank you so much. We'll get All you right, back in here soon.